I end up holding it just to be safe. <laughs> Shall we get started? Good. All right. So thank you guys so much for coming. It's great to see you this afternoon. My name is Ann Matthews. I'm an associate professor at University of Florida, and I'm going to be your moderator today. Um, thanks for coming to our, our session, Exploring Mediterranean Food Systems Through Study Abroad Education. Um, this session will be led by three amazing people. Um, Dr. Melissa Olfert, Dr. Carla Shellnut, and Dr. Jesse Morell, and we'll also have a student perspective from a doctoral student, Miranda Badalato. Today, I'm first going to introduce everyone and just give you the basics of our objectives today, and then I'll turn it over to our speakers, and they're just going to kind of go boom, boom, boom as we go through the session so that we have time to do a lot of discussion at the end. Um, so this session, again, explores three distinct university-based programs developed to engage students in the Mediterranean food system. And as you can imagine, each of our presenters today that I just mentioned have developed, led, or participated in study abroad courses centered on Mediterranean lifestyle and the food system. This um, year at SNEB, we've heard from a number of different educational approaches for enhancing education through different experiences whether it be hands-on cooking experiences, theater classes, you know, all different creative ways to expand on education and really build a deeper understanding. Study abroad courses are just that, another way of reaching students and enhancing education through a variety of different methods and building a deeper understanding, building cultural humility and relationships um, throughout the course. So today, we'll first hear from Dr. Melissa Olfert. Dr. Olfert is a professor at the Davis College of Agriculture, Natural Resources and Design at West Virginia University, where she teaches undergraduate and graduate level nutrition courses, including a Mediterranean diet, food and culture course. Today, however, she's going to present um, specifically about a study abroad experience for practicing health professionals that she developed, led, and evaluated via methodological research process. We'll then hear perspectives and experiences in participating in a study broad course from a student's view, Miranda Badalato. Miranda's entering the last year of her doctoral program in nutritional sciences at the University of Florida, where she developed, tested a brief nutrition education curriculum for high school agri-science and culinary arts students. But most relevant to this session, she participated in a study abroad course to Icaria, Greece, that Dr. Shelnut will be presenting about today. And she also spent a semester abroad in Italy as an undergraduate at the College of Charleston. We'll then hear from Dr. Carla Shelnut. Dr. Shelnut is a professor in the Department of Family, Youth, and Community Sciences and Associate Dean of Extension Engagement for the University of Florida IFAS Extension. 
Many of you here know Carla as the PI for Florida SNAP-Ed and FNEP programs, but you may not know that she's also been teaching study abroad programs for a number of years, specifically focused on the Mediterranean diet and the Blue Zones. Um, I think my lucky stars every day that I get to work with Carla very closely in many aspects of our job, including co-instructor uh, for the study abroad course that she'll present on today. Our last presenter then is Dr. Jesse Morell, a principal investigator in the Agriculture, Nutrition, and Food Systems Department at the University of New Hampshire and director of the University of New Hampshire in Italy study abroad program. Dr. Morell's been leading study abroad courses in and about Italy for over 17, 18 years. Um, and if you just go into, she'll give you a brief overview today, but the extensive courses that she's, include, that she's taught include courses called the History of Food in Italy, From Farm to the Italian Table, and Mediterranean Diet and Culture. Um, after our presentations, then we'll have a few short case scenarios regarding development, funding, and other challenges and successes of study abroad courses. And before we get started, um, in the room, how many of you have also led study abroad courses? Couple people? All right, thank you. What about interest in leading study abroad courses? <laughs> Couple more? All right, and then it looks for, other, for the other people, I'm curious, what brought you to this session today? Amazing speakers. Amazing speakers. Oh. <laughs> Any, anyone else want to share? All right. With that, then, I will go ahead and turn it over to Dr. Olfert. Oh, hold on. Our session objectives, I think I've mostly said these. Um, but again, hopefully we'll have adequate time today to talk about some feasibility challenges and really um, benefits of participation for students in our study abroad sessions, including personal growth, again, cultural humility and literacy. Um, and again, we're going to hear three different, very unique examples of study abroad courses. Thank you, Dr. Matthews, for getting it going here. Okay, so the approach that I think this rather unique novel um, study abroad took is through the form of a research project. And our thought was, well, we're in the state of West Virginia, and every time I open my mouth and talk about study abroad, I always have health professionals say, can you take me in your suitcase? And so I'm like, we're going to take you, but you don't have to be in the suitcase. So the whole goal of ICHOP, which is increasing culinary health opportunities for professionals, and it ended up then being aspiring professionals, was to recruit a diverse multidisciplinary group to first learn and then go and do an immersion experience where they're practicing these skills. So hopefully, as they return, they're talking to their patients and their clients very different because they have this very personable experience. And so we turned this into um, a research study. Initially, we really wanted to find out what medical students, you know, really thought about um, nutrition knowledge, attitudes, and self-efficacy, especially as it's focused on the Mediterranean diet itself. This then led to the development um, of the full four-point data collection uh, 
intervention project that we did, which was, um, as I mentioned, you know, practice or build your knowledge first and then go and try it on for size. So recruitment was key in that we really wanted a diverse group. Um, we wanted dentists, pharmacists, nurse practitioners, nurses, dental hygienists, we had a respiratory therapist, we had registered dietitians, but we wanted to kind of have a really nice diverse group. Um, so recruitment was really key. They had to actually be practicing health professionals in the state of West Virginia and they had to agree to participate in the research study, which meant we really needed them to adhere to collecting the data. So we basically had four points of uh, data collection, a pre-post, which was done around the knowledge base. So um, baseline, which was January, then started the 16-week four-module course that ended the end of May, and it was followed by a two-week immersion experience in Tuscany, Italy, where every day over the course of those two weeks, there was either um, a culinary skill lesson or a food lesson, um, which could have been a tour, um, and I'll talk more about that. And then, after they got home, we did a six-month follow-up to really kind of interview and figure out, you know, did this really make a big, a big difference in how you're actually talking to your patients and your clients? So first of all, obviously, we had to um, develop and then um, launch the different modules. These were all very flexible, um, so virtual learning. And it was kind of self-paced through four weeks of each module. Um, with a little bit of interaction, some videos made, and lots of resources given because a lot of these medical professionals didn't know much about the Mediterranean diet and they really were hungry to learn. So um, that was a really neat part of that we kind of let them do a deep dive as deep as they wanted to go with the resources. Um, this was a total three credit course, so the way we divided that up was a credit and a half to do the four modules and then a credit and a half to actually do the immersion experience. And so then followed by the two-week immersion experience um, where they had the active living experience where they could talk about um, the knowledge they learned, their own experience, and hopefully moving along that self-efficacy and possibly even changing their attitudes. Um, application from the previous modules they had learned, we tried to um, uh, incorporate kind of nudges, if you would. Um, it, the way that we collected data is through a journal that they were given, and each day it has their little research. They would write their research number down here, and the grad students would take a picture of their entries every day um, for those two weeks, so we were collecting that qualitative data and it was all geared towards um, the culinary experience and the food lesson. And then we also did two different intakes of small focus groups um, where we broke into, so that they could interact with the multidiscipline approach, the interdiscipline, um, and learn from each other. All right, so just a little bit about um, the trip itself, which was this immersion experience, we stayed at two different farms and one hotel um, in Florence. And throughout those, we had created various different food and nutrition, um, and especially Mediterranean culture and lifestyle introductions around these. And so an agriturismo is something very popular. The Italian government has really encouraged a lot of farms to think about having visits, visiting um, 
individuals that can literally just drive up and stay at the farm. And um, so these agriturismos are very much geared towards um, individuals coming and working the farm, picking the grapes, um, assisting in, you know, working with whatever animals are there, and then to also be able to eat at the restaurant, which is really not a restaurant. It's like a big kitchen, if you would. Um, and so, you know, the, the two farms that we worked at, we had the olive trees and a lot of olive tasting, which is a real big experience for people. Um, you don't realize how complicated olive oil can be and how refined it can be. So um, very interesting to kind of go through that process and watch people learn and start really, really realizing that they want to do better at picking um, what olive oil they actually consume. And then of course, the vineyards, being able to assist with working the fields, um, as well as the, learning the different types of grapes, um, the different terroir, if you will, um, and the, these tastings. And what an appropriate wine tasting experience truly is by individuals, farmers, if you will, that actually know everything from A to Z about winemaking. And then bees, honey is a big deal across the Mediterranean, more than we realize. Um, and it's not, um, it's quite a science to how they do things and also how they extract the honey. So the students have an opportunity to actually do this, of course, if they choose to or not. And then um, actually uh, managing the honey, putting the honey through production and realizing the different types of honey based on whatever was in season of that blossom and how that really impacts the different honey. And then the cooking lessons, you know, it is um, quite an experience to watch people for the first time, learn about herbs, learn about how to create pasta and make it al dente, and then how you use a lot of the local um, vegetables and, and foods to really complement that Mediterranean diet. Most of these were hands-on. The students would actually create one portion of the meal in groups, or they would, um, um, obviously like watch or observe based on certain portions of this. Going to pasta factories and learning about the different whole grains, the ancient grain in particular, um, and just really understanding how this really matters when somebody is actually shopping for um, specific uh, pasta and how the enrichment and the protein um, can really matter when somebody is choosing. And then of course learning from scratch how to make pasta and the various different 60 different times, types of pasta that can be made. Um, some cheese factory tours. Yeah, I don't think you can go where all this is happening in the Mediterranean without learning about soft cheeses, hard cheeses, cheeses made from um, buffalo, made from sheep, um, various different types of lactose. And then truffle hunting, super fun to watch the dogs sniff out in the forest and figure out where these truffles are and then to take them and um, actually use them in the different pastas. So just lots of learning about herbs and things like truffles. And of course, this is a key thing, having individuals sit down and not only partake of this grand meal that they've just created, but to talk about their own experiences, where they've been, um, what they're frustrated with when, you know, when they're actually in the doctor office and, you know, treating their patients and how each other troubleshoots. So just a really enriched conversational component. And lastly, 
Um, I have always, I've, we've run this program four different times and we have always ended because we've been in the farm in the Tuscan countryside in Florence for the last two days. And so there we actually go around and do a kind of a taste of Florence to really kind of see all the different um, offerings. And of course we have to taste all the different pistachio, gelato, and very unique hazelnut, all the nut gelatos that we typically don't have so common over here. Okay, that's it for me. We are gonna have a student perspective now from Miranda. Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Miranda. Thank you Dr. Matthews for the introduction and Dr. Olfert for getting us started. Before talking with Dr. Olfert, I wasn't aware that as a professional in your career that you could participate and study abroad programs. So as an early career professional, I will be making those decisions knowing that <laughs> moving forward. Um, but I wanna share with you today a little bit about my background, why I chose to study abroad, but then more importantly, I think some of the unexpected takeaways that are going to help me um, be a better nutrition professional. And so, a little bit about my life, my backstory. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, but then moved to Charleston, South Carolina um, in the middle of high school, which, as you can imagine, is a difficult time to move. But I think that experience really taught me that the world is much bigger than your hometown. <laughs> the world is much bigger than you know. It's okay to step outside of your comfort zone. You will come out on the other side. Um, and so I think that is really what prompted me for being willing to leave the country by myself for six months and learn a new language. Um, but then also I am Italian, I have family in Sicily, I have dual citizenship, and I've always really admired people who are very in touch with their culture and know more about themselves, their family, where they come from, and I wanted to be able to identify with that. To capitalize on that, I earned a um, minor in Italian in undergrad. Um, my undergrad major was exercise science, and as you can imagine, learning exercise science in Italian is quite difficult. Um, so I figured out a way for my courses over in Italy to satisfy my Italian minor. So if you are a health major, there is a possibility for you to find a way for your program to adapt your to your needs. So then thinking about um, the things that I learned that I could not have expected when studying abroad, I wanna to touch a little bit on personal growth, experiential learning, and then professional development. So just a show of hands, how many of you have ever sent a text message and you knew exactly what the intention was behind the text message, but it was received a very different way? Okay. <laughs> Or how many of you will tailor the way you're writing an email, maybe add an emoji or an exclamation point, depending on who the audience is on the other side? Okay. <laughs> I am victim of those two things myself. <laughs> um, and just by shout out, when I tell you to think of a salad, what is the first thing you think of? What is the base of a salad? Lettuce, okay. So I studied abroad in Italy during my undergrad, and then I studied abroad in Greece during my doctoral program. And and a salad in Italy is tomatoes and mozzarella, right? But a salad in Greece is cucumber, onion, tomatoes, and a block of feta. So when we're talking about the Mediterranean diet and how we're communicating things as nutrition professionals, some things might seem um, obvious to us, right? We study these things, but then how can I be hyper aware and tailor and adapt my message depending on my audience? And I think that's an experience that study abroad gave me. 
And I think something that's more applicable about adapting to your audience, right, is who you're working with. I think the world is moving to working on a much more global scale, working with people from all corners of the globe, and being able to um, adapt to different situations, adapt to who you're working with, the group, the setting, um, on a quick fly, I think is a very important skill to have. Experiential learning, um, kind of like Dr. Olpert talked about and what Dr. Shelnut will talk about in a little bit with Greece, is one of the activities that we did in Greece was farm-to-table meal, right? So as nutrition educators, we're constantly talking about farm-to-table meals or sourcing your food locally or the importance of meal prep. And But these are also all barriers to eating healthfully, right? And so by going to Greece and participating in an activity where I could help harvest some of the food, we don't need to talk about the fact that it was only for an hour or two, but I still participated. <laughs> um, and then prepping the food myself, making a meal out of what produce was available, those are all barriers that we talk about and that we know, but experiencing them firsthand and being able to add those personal anecdotes when working with students or other researchers or patients, I think is really important to add. Um, and so a picture on the right, you can see that's actually me presenting a poster at a conference last year about gardening. Um, and so I was able to add those personal anecdotes based off my experience from the previous summer. And then lastly, professional development. I'm gonna ask you guys one more question. How many of you get those uh, notifications on your phone every week about how much time you spend on your screen? And how many of you would be willing to show the group <laughs> how much time you spend on the screen is? Um, as a nutrition educator, I think this is a great opportunity for us to take advantage of that um, and a great opportunity for us to educate people about nutrition through their screen and through scrolling on social media. And so in Icaria, I learned lots of recipes and I shared them on my personal food Instagram page at Miranda's Food Diaries in case you're interested. Um, and I was able to share those recipes on social media and as you can see, this is a screenshot of the reels. So just one video that I shared had 162,000 views, 10,000 likes, and 4,000 saves. So this just shows that one simple 20-second video is clearly engaging, and people are interested in that. So if we can take these things that we're learning in Greece or in Italy and bring them home for people, um, I think that's very valuable. So here's the video. I want to share this tzatziki <laughs> recipe I learned in Icaria, Greece. First, shred your cucumber and then strain it over a bowl to get rid of all the extra cucumber juice. Then chop up some fresh dill and fresh garlic. Make sure they're both fresh. Then to a bowl, you're gonna add your plain Greek yogurt, extra virgin olive oil, the dill and garlic, the cucumber, salt and pepper. Stir it all together and that's it. Enjoy. And so that's it, just 20 seconds, right? But very educational and something that people can make for themselves at home just based off of those 20 seconds. And just here are some pictures of everything that I miss and that I dream about every day. <laughs> All the colorful food, the wine tasting. Um, that's Thea, the um, woman who led our program over there in Greece. And that's it. So now I'll hand it off to Dr. Shelman. Miranda had her camera out 24-7, interviewing the other students. My mom actually went with us on the trip and called her. I think she called you NBC or something. She was like the, the news, so she, she definitely captured everything for us, so it was great. 
Okay, so I'm here to talk to you about what we do at the University of Florida, and actually um, we've done two different countries because our needs have changed. So kind of focusing on the needs of the student at the time, and then also our needs as faculty as there's turnover and things change. So hopefully you take some little tidbits with you for, from this presentation. All right, so back in, I don't know, 2012, 2013, um, the University of Florida was really pushing us as faculty to internationalize our curriculum. They really were interested in more study abroad opportunities, were throwing money at us to take these experiences and, and go to another country and develop something. Um, and so I am part of a multi-state research team that my colleagues are here, and I was able to go to Italy with one of our colleagues from the research team and see how she did it, right? So that's the first step. I highly recommend if you have an opportunity to go with a colleague who already does it, do that, right? Because I had no idea how to run a study abroad. And so we went to Italy. I think it's the same agriturismo that you had on there, that Tanya, but yeah. So anyways, that, that kind of inspired me. I was excited, it was amazing. And so when we got back to Florida, I wrote a mini grant to get funding to create a study abroad. And now the study abroad we created was geared specifically to our MSDI students. So back then, I was co-teaching a three-semester course with Dr. Gail Caldwell, who was the MSDI director at the time. Um, and our MSDI students, their curriculum is pretty set, right? There's no wiggle room. They have a lot of classes they have to take. And so they really didn't have the opportunity to go on a study abroad or do this kind of experience. So when we talked about creating one, we're like, okay, let's do this for our MSDIs, which means it has to be a short-term experience that they can fit in in between semesters, right? So that's what we did. Um, we created a course because we wanted to give them three graduate credits and taught the course summer A, right? So there was content summer A and their experience was in between the summer A and summer B semesters, which is how we're still doing it now. Um, so anyways, we decided when we were gonna do it that we wanted to do it in France. We wanted to do it in Italy originally because we loved it so much, but there was already a three-week study abroad in Italy through the nutrition department. So we kind of were talking and we're like, what about France? We knew we wanted it to be focused on the Mediterranean diet. Dr. Cowell was very comfortable with France because she had been there before. She actually knew some French. Um, and so we got funding to go over to France to explore, to meet with some people and figure out how we were going to partner. Um, and we focused specifically on the Languedoc-Roussillon region. We found our partner, which was this beautiful house. And now the name of the house, which is kind of funny when we were writing the proposal, is called the French Party House when we went there. <laughs> but the French Party House actually hosted cooking classes and other things. So, you know, we had to explain that to our admins. <laughs> so the first study abroad was called Food and Culture in the Languedoc-Roussillon region of France. Um, we taught that summer A course. We wanted to make sure that we had enough contact hours in the classroom and in France to, make, to give them the three graduate credits from the university. So that was approved. So we met once a week for three hours to prepare for our time in France. And we provided lectures on the med diet. We had the students do presentations and research the med diet. We had students do different types of assignments, like to go to a farmer's market in Gainesville and explore, answer some questions, so that we went to a farmer's market in France, they could compare the two, um, in addition to learning about the French Revolution and some other things before we went there. 
and then we went to France in between summer A and summer B. And while we were there, we experienced a lot of the, you know, the same things that Melissa talked about, cooking classes. Uh, we had a French chef come to the party house and teach us how to cook, and we had amazing food. Um, we went to different farmers markets. Uh, we went to learn about how olive oil is produced and do olive oil tasting. Of course, the vineyard and the winery to see the wine, which was amazing. Um, and this is a picture of Dr. Caldwell, who is, you know, we one of my dear friends. She was on my PhD committee. So we worked really well together, fully trust each other, and were able to provide this experience for our students and just enjoy it professionally too, which was amazing. Now, so we taught that class 2015, 2016, 2017. It was geared towards our MSDIs, but we opened it up to other undergraduate and graduate students. Then in 2017, I went to the Florida Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics meeting in Florida, obviously, because it's fanned, and the keynote speaker was Dan Butner. Now, Dan Butner is the guy who basically came up with the concept of the Blue Zones with his research team. Has anyone in here heard of the Blue Zones? Okay, well, I had not heard of the Blue Zones in 2017, and he's a photographer, so he had these amazing pictures of these older adults in these different countries, and I was mesmerized by the concept of longevity, and so I thought, okay, we've done France for a few years, wouldn't it be neat to study a Blue Zone? So just a quick review, remember the Blue Zones are where people live to be over 100, and not just over 100, but a healthy 100, right? You see much less dementia, Alzheimer's, much less chronic disease. So they were studying where on the globe people live to be pretty old, a lot more than here in the US, and they found these five hotspots, right? So they circled these hotspots in blue pen, which is why they're called the blue zones. Really, that's in his book. Um, and the five zones are Loma Linda, California, Nicoya Peninsula, Costa Rica, Sardinia, Italy, Ikaria, Greece, and Okinawa, Japan. And really the factors that are common among the five blue zones have to do with lifestyle, right? In addition to some other things, but like functional movement, functional fitness. Um, they talk about the right tribe, family time, right? Spirituality, who you surround yourself with, your community, having a positive attitude, what people are eating. In addition to the factors that are similar across the five, each blue zone also has their own factors associated with longevity. They went in and did a bunch of interviews with older adults and collected a whole bunch of data. And so again, the blue zone is a concept used to identify a demographic and or a geographic area of the world where people live measurably longer and healthier lives created by Dan Butner and his team. And as I mentioned, it's family, it's social engagement, um, and then healthy lifestyle practices. So less smoking, a lot more fruits and vegetables, a lot more legumes, and then that functional fitness. They're just adding fitness to their lives. And in terms of the food, it, you know, Mediterranean diet, very much plant-based. Um, a lot of whole grains, a lot of beans, wine, right, but in moderation. Uh, that's what we talked a lot about wine in Greece, and we'll get to that. Okay, so the second study abroad, right, is Longevity and Lifestyle in Icaria, Greece, a Blue Zone Experience. We wrote another mini-grant to the University of Florida International Center and were funded to go visit Thea, which that's the lady that Miranda had in her picture. And Thea Perikos lives in Nas Ikaria, which is this little island about 20 miles off the coast of Turkey. And I was connected to Thea from my colleague at Purdue, 
Angie Abbott. So she had done an experience there. We had the mini grant to go over and meet with Thea, in addition to another woman by the name of Diane Kochilas. Does anyone know that name? She does a lot of um, Greek cooking shows and has a, a show, does a lot with the Academy. And we met with both of them to see what kind of experiences they offered so we could see what was best for our students. Now, Diane Kochilas was like, super fancy, like amazing cooking experience. Thea has an inn and it's beautiful and it's rustic and we thought was just a much better fit for our group. So we went with Thea. We opened it up again. First it was targeted to the MSDI students. So this was, this would have been 2018. And we opened it up to other undergraduate and graduate students. We taught a summary course, so it was a hybrid course. Some people were in Gainesville, some people were on Zoom, and we made sure we had enough contact hours for three graduate and undergraduate credits. So the content shifted a little bit because we were now in Icaria instead of France. We did talk a lot about the Mediterranean diet. We talked a lot about different herbs because one of the factors in Icaria associated with longevity is that they drink a lot of herbal teas. They forage for a lot of herbs. And so, you know, they're like, oh, I have a headache. They literally will go out into their backyard and be like, I need some oregano or whatever it is they do. And they brew a tea and they drink it. Um, we learned about olive oil. We talked about honey. Gainesville has a, an amazing extension specialist who focuses on honey production, and we have like this bee building in entomology. Like it looks like a beehive. They do amazing research there. And so we did a field trip to um, that building and got a tour. So they learned about honey production in the US so that we could compare it um, in Icaria as well. I think one of the most favorite assignments, and my students who went can tell me if I'm right or wrong, is we also wanted them to have experience speaking to an older adult. So we had them interview an older adult in their life. And so a lot of the students chose their grandparents or a neighbor or a close friend. And I think you guys really loved it, right? Because you got to spend time asking them about their life and what they did. And then to hear the students present those interviews to us in class and show us pictures, and it, it was just amazing. And I think the students really enjoyed those conversations as well. And then we also had other assignments before we went to Greece. So that was summer A, once a week for six weeks for three hours. And then we spent the week in between summer A and summer B in Icaria. So in 2018, I went with my colleague, Gil Caldwell. And then after that, she retired, right? So, you know, we talk about changes in faculty and turnover, one of the takeaways I want you guys to have is if you're gonna do a study abroad with a colleague, make sure it's somebody you really like and you enjoy spending time with because you're gonna spend a lot of time with this person. You're gonna face certain challenges with this person, so you have to be able to work together. So when Gail retired, I asked Anne, who's like my, one of my work besties, and we'd do everything together if she wanted to co-teach this class with, uh, with me. And lucky enough, I, she said yes. I know it was a hard decision. <laughs> but she, and so here's a picture of Anne and I at Nas Beach in Icaria. And she helped me with the 2022 and 2023 class. So because with COVID, we didn't do it for a couple years. Um, and then in Icaria, we did a cooking class, which Miranda talked about. We literally went to their farm, picked the food, and learned about Icarian cooking on their farm. This past year, we got to go to a local festival that they call Panigiri, which is a festival that lasts all night long. And we got to dance with the locals and eat stewed goat, which was delicious, and the salad and the wine. And we were there for six hours, and I think our group was like, okay, we're good, we gotta go. No, no, they stayed until eight o'clock the next morning. Like the locals stay and dance 
And we heard a couple of students went back that night, which, you know, <laughs> they let us know, but those are some of the things that you deal with, which we can talk about at our roundabouts. And so here are some pictures from the trip. Miranda showed you pictures from last year. These pictures are from this past year. So um, one of the things I didn't mention, one of the factors they swear by are these hot springs. So they have hot springs on the island that they just go sit and they soak. And the different hot springs have different healing properties. Um, like one of them is fertility. We didn't go to that one. We went to the one that gives you, I'm like, I'm not going to that spring. Um, but we did go to the one and sit in the one that's supposed to help you with your joints and stuff, and that's the picture there. Um, you see a picture of the students dancing with some of the locals. We have the Gator Chomp um, picture there, which I'm going to point Miranda here. She's actually at the University of Tennessee. And so we're in this picture. You'll see she's the only one that's going like this. She refused to do the Gator Chomp. But I think by the end of the week, we could call her, you know, kind of a gator. So. You see the guy from the bee house, um, and that was hilarious because you see he's only wearing shorts, right? So he's got his face covered and his arms, but he's got shorts. And then his little smoker thing, he just is holding it like in between his knees. There's literally fire coming out of it, and he's just holding it, and we're like, dude, you're on fire. He, he didn't care. So the student's got a kick out of that as well. So anyways, now in terms of turnover also, I move, have moved into a new role at the University of Florida, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue to do study abroad. So I'm looking to recruit another faculty member, Amy Mobley, to help Ann Matthews <laughs> to go forward. And again, um, taking away finding someone that you can trust and enjoy working with um, moving forward. So with that, I will give this to Jesse. Hi everyone, it's, it's going to be a tough act to follow up these exciting um, stories here and oh goodness and the, and the wonderful smart colleagues that came before me so I'll go, do my best here. I am very lucky to direct uh, the UNH in Italy program at the University of New Hampshire and um, this is a program located in central Italy. Our program is specifically designed, we're trying to highlight sort of our differences. We have a lot of commonalities between our different programs. So what I'm trying to highlight today is a little bit about the, some of the differences, the uniquenesses of our UNH in Italy program. Um, and we are actually intentionally designed for students across the entire university. So students from all majors um, are recruited to participate. And we have both um, semester and summer terms. So we have a 12-week fall, spring, and then a five-week uh, summer, summer term. Um, I very accidentally got involved in study abroad. I um, actually, when I began um, study abroad, I didn't have a passport. I'd never left the country. Um, I had been approached by one of my undergrads who was a dietetics major. She was a transfer student and she said, you know, why doesn't UNH offer a program on the Mediterranean diet? My old school did. And so I sat down with her, we researched some programs, and it kind of the light bulb went off with, why don't I call over to the liberal arts college, see what they're already doing? And that kind of led to a couple meetings, and before I knew it, we, were, we had come up with a, a collaboration between the nutrition program and the liberal arts college, the Italian department, and offered a summer study abroad program targeting our nutrition students, but open to all students. And this you know, sparked a really amazing opportunity for me and actually for my family. It was a really 
um, important thing, or it became a very important thing for me and my children because I was able to, you know, on a, a new faculty, you know, instructor salary, be able to bring my, my kids abroad, which I don't think I actually would have ever been able to do and was never offered to me growing up. So it was, you know, first start off with something that I did in, in large part, you know, it was extra money in the summer. I was getting paid to teach and offer my kids an opportunity and um, just started kind of offering this summer program. Um, we are located, our, our, one of the uniqueness of our program is where we're located. We're located in this um, really neat little, you know, medium-sized city called Ascoli Piceno. Like many people, or like, you know, myself, I'm assuming many of you have not heard of this city called Ascoli Piceno. Um, it is a nice, beautiful, 50,000 person city located in central eastern Italy. It's very similar to the topography and agriculture and food culture of Tuscany, which people have heard of before, and we're on the east coast. Um, it's a beautiful city. It's actually a region of Italy that it has its, or, or the seven countries study and Mediterranean diet actually has its origins from this same region. Um, but it's lesser known and it's not really, it's kind of off the beaten track, although it's still on the train station, it still has a hospital, it still has you know, an airport nearby, it's still a large city that is safe and easy to get to, but just not nearly as known, and for that, because of that, we, were the, we are the only American university there, and it gives our students a really unique perspective. Um, a lot of our undergraduates, undergraduates come to us and say, I wanna go to Florence, I wanna go to Rome, um, and those are wonderful cities to study, but they're a different experience, in my opinion, than going to a city where you might be one of the only Americans in the city. Um, and also it offers some unique safety features for us that we, we really leverage. Um, today, fast forward 17 years later, I'm now the director of the full year program. For a variety of just logistical things, um, we moved the, the program that was um, in the Liberal Arts College. They offered the year-round program, traditional Italian language, Italian studies program, probably like Miranda did. Um, and we transferred it over to the Liberal Arts College, I'm sorry, the College of Life Sciences, and reframed the curriculum. So now our curriculum, although it's still offered to students from across all majors, um, focuses on food systems. So our curriculum um, and our coursework, although meeting general education requirements for students, focuses on things like food culture, the history of food in Italy, critical analysis of, of food from farm to the Italian table. And so the coursework, again, is offered to students without any prior background in nutrition or Italian, for that matter, um, is now kind of themed more in our agricultural lens. So now all of a sudden, I'm the director of this year-long program, um, which has added some challenges. Um, and now I am much more sort of thoughtful about you know mid-career, mid what do I want out of my my professional experience, what do I want to do that is serving you know, the greater good or what, what have you. And I have become a zealot of study abroad. I am now someone, or and study away, I should say study away, which would include um, even in-country travel. But I am now a zealot that this is something that higher ed needs to even further embrace for our, the future, our, our, our students and, the, and their future professions. Um, we still embed traditional study abroad experiences, like we offer 
um, an orientation week where we usually start off in Rome for a few days or Sicily this summer, for example, during the Mount Etna eruption, but that's another story. Um, but we, and we also have excursions. We have a week-long excursion in Bologna and Florence and, and things like that. So we still offer traditional kind of fun things, um, but we really are mindful of what this experience is designed to do. And a lot of that is things that Miranda talked about in terms of personal growth and exploration and just kind of learning new things about yourself. I'm a director of a program, so I have to worry about things like recruitment all the time. So I'm recruiting students and I've learned that that recruitment starts really, really early. A lot of times our students who participate as juniors first thought about it as a freshman. It takes them a couple of years to really make it happen for both logistical, curricular reasons, but also some of it is just them warming up to the idea. Um, so I've learned that I have to really put the, the work in for many, many years. Um, I now work really hard with um, thinking about pre-departure um, and, and the in-country staff and the support that they're going to give. Students have, um, there's different needs than, than 15 years ago, so we have to think about mental health supports. We have to think about family, uh, meeting family expectations. Um, we learn, we have to deal with lots of different important things that are really still critical to, to make study abroad accessible to lots of different types of students. Um, my program offers, we do our own housings, we, we set up apartments for students in advance. Um, I have a small in-country staff that are from Oscoli, they're Oscolani, so they are, um, you know, they know the area very well, they know, you know, if we need a, you know, we needed a cardiac a cardiologist last semester for a student, and he had one on his phone. You know, we, we are, are folks that we work with very familiar with what's going on on the ground, um, and that has become very key to the program and the safety of our students. Um, and that's one thing, kind of to to kind of riff off of what Dr. Shelnut mentioned, is our in-country partners and the relationships that I have with my staff in country, I couldn't do the program without. If I didn't have those, those great strong relationships, it, wouldn't, it would not work. Um, we're going to want to leave some time for our fun activity, um, but to kind of wrap up with a couple other key pieces, in my perspective, having done this now for many years, um, there's a couple things about our program that um, I think you can do study abroad in lots of different models and in different ways, but in my experience, some things that have really helped foster success is one, it's a university-managed program. We, at University of New Hampshire, it is a program we own and run. We don't use a third-party provider. Um, we certainly use vendors in country. You know, we use people on, in, you know, we, we work with a lot of different bus companies and, and vendors and, and agriturismo owners and things like that. But our own, the program, the curriculum um, is university managed. That allows for things that, like, I work directly with financial aid office. The housing department, at, at the University of New Hampshire, the students are always worried about housing, next year's housing assignments and dorms and apartments. And by making sure that we're, we're working together, the students aren't worried about their lease or their deposit or having housing, or, for example. Um, financial aid, um, academic deans, advisors, all the folks at UNH that I work with that really become key in supporting the students um, to go abroad and make sure that they stay on track and progress to degree and don't lose um, time in terms of going abroad, taking a bunch of credits that 
are not going to help them graduate. Now, things like Instagram, like Miranda's Instagram account, certainly help with marketing and promotion because the future students see those photos that the students are posting on their Instagram and they come to me and I ask them how they heard about the program and more often it is from other students that gets them excited. Um, but I still have to also think about what kind of program I want it to be. Um, I, we do want to always balance this academic experience with the personal growth, with the just enjoyment of a, a different semester. But I do often answer questions like, so are there books? Do I have to read a book during the semester? Are there papers to write? Um, so there is a perception among students that you know this is just gonna be a semester of fun. And we, although we want them to have fun, we also want them to have safe fun. Um, and we want them to have an academic experience that helps them in the future. And definitely COVID taught us that we have to be really nimble and ready and, and you know, manage things. So for example, you know, this is a program that I'm in charge of. I have a budget, I have staff that I had to furlough during COVID. Um, but I have to now, we did also pivot to offering some online courses so that we could get our staff back with a paycheck and things like that. Um, and now I really have to think forward. Um, we are facing students with growing student debt. Um, we are, our enrollments across the land are kind of going down. Um, and so we have to and continue to think about what the future of study abroad is looking like. Looking like. Um, we wanna get more students who might not traditionally think about study abroad to, to participate. And that is a challenge for us. And we need to keep on working hard to integrate it into our, into our curriculums. So I will stop there and let our moderator take over and tell us what we're doing next. Thank you all. We have about 12 minutes left, which is just perfect for what we're going to do. Um, if you could, if you're at a table with just two or three people, if you don't mind just turning around and joining another table, we've come up with five different scenarios really to try to address some of the things that might keep you from developing, leading, or participating in a study abroad program. So we're going to come around. Um, with some discussions, if you'll take about five minutes to read and discuss, and then we're going to report back to the group.
All right, make sure you have a spokesperson that can report out. You have one more minute, one more minute, and then we're gonna share with everybody. slides we'll go from one Is that one for one? It is. Huh? All right. I know that wasn't a lot of time, but to keep on schedule, we're going to rope you back in. Um, and we're going to go around. So we'll start with the first table. If you'll just quickly read your scenario and then report back very quickly. Okay, I'll read it. The first one Professor Tarragon is assistant professor at a land grant institution. They have a strong interest in adding more international offerings to their current dietetics undergraduate program, but worried about promotion and tenure considerations, plus sustainability of the program. Recommendations. I know I was at that table, and we did not get to the sustainability portion of that. <laughs> All right, Carrie Ann is going to give us a summary here. So actually, we got to hear the perspective from Dr. Matthews on um, what professors would actually face in this kind of situation. Um, what she was sharing with us is that um, typically professors would need to, um, especially younger or um, early career professors would need to conduct research and um, publish and um, achieve other things before studying abroad, so that, face, that causes an area for challenges. Um, so one potential way is that if it's already part of the type of work that you're doing, so if you're looking at food security, then you could use that as a way to incorporate it in your um, practice. Um, another challenge that she did mention is that summer is usually that time that you're using to write papers um, and most, a lot of um, professors or starting uh, professionals, pardon me, are nine-month employees, and so it's not something that is compensated. So um, if a university is providing like that, um, those resources for them to actually go, then that takes some of that burden off of um, that professional. So uh, we did not, like she said, <laughs> get to the uh, sustainable part of the um, question. Thank you, All right, so number two, Director Oregano directs a dietetics graduate program and sees the need for enhancing cultural humility in the curriculum through a study away experience, but is also mindful of the costs for students. What ideas might they consider? I'm coming. <laughs> it's just a little bit of an obstacle course. Who is going to report for us? If you'll share your name. 
I am Kristen, um, and our group definitely agreed that this is a concern for students. And so a couple ideas. One is to look for less experience, less expensive experiences. And did you say your group went to Nicaragua and they stayed in hammocks, so they didn't have the hotel costs? So that's one option, um, braver than I am. Um, another possibility is looking for scholarships for individual students who have need to go on study abroad. And then another idea and something we do at the University of Illinois is our pre-departure courses. And, and this doesn't take care of the cost of flights or anything, but the pre-departure courses are spring courses. So they don't pay fees in the summer if they're not taking other classes too. Number three, Sasha Sage has been leading a study abroad program for the past 10 years. She would like to increase participation among first generation students. How, how did we do this? We're supposed to be brilliant people, <laughs> not put numbers clear across. <laughs> All righty, good afternoon everyone. So our group came up with um, the awareness of study abroad program opportunities early on, like in, in orientation um, course or, you know, a meeting, uh, well-planned logistics so that the parents would understand the details ahead of time. Um, parents of students who have also gone through um, the, the past experience, like the previous year, to share their experience with other parents and students interested in the program, um, uh, communicating to parents, of course, and last but not least, having the first-gen um, peer mentor program so they would be able to share their experience with the incoming group that would, you know, do the upcoming year. So yeah. that's it. That's a great idea. I love the peer mentoring. Thank you. All right, number four, Bobby Basil has been asked to foster additional study away opportunities across the life sciences and agricultural college. <laughs> they are focused on creating partnerships with faculty who often report concerns about the unique challenges and liability involved. How can Dr. Basil support faculty to develop study abroad programming? Hi, thank you. Um, so we talked about a couple of things or a few things um, one being being aware of so it does say how can dr. Basil support faculty but being aware of who's our the target audience so other than students like write the presentation on uh, incorporating healthcare professionals so being aware of their commitments and work schedules so being able to develop a study away or study abroad experience that doesn't take too much time away from their professional job because they have to come back to work. Um, we also talked about having, um, like, providing the opportunity to follow or go with a colleague that might already have a study abroad program. And then we talked about, um, like, having a checklist so that you're kind of aware of what to expect so there's no surprises talked about like knowing what vaccines you might need, um, if there's cost to get through customs for things that you didn't claim. Um, and what was the other? Uh, documentation. Yeah, any documentation. And yeah, really just being able to support the faculty in finding the information they need to develop the program. So going abroad with another colleague that has the program. Um, and then, yeah, sorry. I think that's what we did talk about. 
All right, and our last one, uh, Carrie Chamomile is a doctoral candidate in nutritional sciences at the Land Grant University, interested in internationalizing her academic experience, but her advisor doesn't think studying abroad would complement her studies. What benefits can Carrie share with her advisor to convince them that study abroad would help her prepare for her future? So uh, we talked about a few things. One is just talking about the soft skills that you would gain by going on study abroad, like learning about different cultures, networking, communications, exploration, uh, some skills in food and nutrition you might get, um, learning about the food supply in different countries, sustainability, nutrients, diets, that type of thing. There was a concern brought up, if this is a PhD candidate, where are they in their program and will this slow them down? Is there the way they get to connect this to their dissertation at all, um, to talk about that, or um, just to make sure that they stay on track? Thank you. Yeah, there would be different challenges potentially with a graduate student. Thank you all. Um, that was great discussion. I know we are at our time. Um, is there anything else in the last moments that anyone would like to share? And if not, I'm sure the speakers will hang around. And if you have any questions, particularly about study, study abroad programs, or just want to chat a little bit longer, um, I'm sure you guys would be, you, you will be willing to stay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Have a great night. See you tomorrow. Partner. You need a partner. You need a key partner who's flowing. Or you. Sir.